Welcome to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Thank you so much for being here with us today. I'm Jason Kong alongside Bill Alexander. Bill, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Jason. Hope you are. I'm fantastic, Bill, as always. And we've got a wonderful show lined up today. And, you know, we're, we're getting to that point here where um, the, the weather's getting, you know, a, a little bit milder on occasion. So, uh, but... you know this time of year is crazy because it's uh, hot then cold and mild and then freezing so let's just hope we don't have a big snowfall who knows oh boy you said the magic words bill Mm -hmm. so we'll we'll keep our fingers crossed but yeah today uh, i wanted to uh devote uh, the entire uh session uh, to trusts because so many folks uh, want to know about trusts. Uh, a lot of folks know that they want to use a trust for their estate planning simply because for a lot of folks, they, they want to make uh, the transitions of property at death as simple as possible for their spouse and children. Um, and and, the, and that is one of the advantages of using a trust. You know, now there are lots of other reasons people use trust. There, in fact, uh, uh, that go way beyond just uh, saving the time and trouble and money that uh, of going through the court system uh, when a person dies. Uh, a lot of folks uh, need a trust for tax planning for estate tax planning generation skipping uh, planning and the like other people use a trust because they have a complex situation and that might be because they have an estranged child or it might be that they they're in a second or third marriage and they have children by previous uh, marriage Uh, it may be because they own real estate outside the state of North Carolina, and a trust is a much better vehicle to transfer, uh, to avoid probate in two different states, and that saves a family a lot of money and makes it a whole lot easier uh, when folks die. Um, But there are lots and lots of reasons for using a trust Uh, on top of a last will and testament that we normally call a pour-over will, which in essence says, if my property's not already in my trust, at my death, put it in my trust. Now, obviously, to make a trust efficient, then you have to put as much property as you can into your trust while you're alive. I mean, that's sort of an obvious kind of thing. And so uh, the first thing I want to do is to to basically explain what a trust is. You know, as an attorney, when we talk about trust to our clients, and this is true universally, we almost always talk about a trust as a bucket that we put our property in and it can be efficiently managed uh, but we can put it in our bucket or we can take it out of our bucket. But uh, in fact, I've even seen attorneys make the mis- mistake of transferring property to directly to a trust. But the fact is a trust, and this will really blow people's minds, I think, 
a trust cannot own property. And you might ask, well, why is that? Well, you know, because an LLC can own property, a corporation can own property. Why can't a trust? Because a trust is not an entity. So it's not, what is it? It's a contract. It's an agreement. It's a piece of paper. So in essence, you cannot transfer property to a contract. So it's like, well, how does it work? Well, it's real simple if you think about it. When you create a trust, you name a trustee. And in most trusts, we're naming ourselves <laughs> as the trustee. So in essence, we're transferring the property from ourselves. In, in, in most revocable trusts, we're transferring it to ourselves as trustee. And so once we put trustee behind our name, then that means that we're holding the property in a fiduciary capacity. In other words, we're taking it out. We're taking the property out of our individual name and putting it into our name as trustee. And the advantage there is the fact that that means the property that you've transferred is now held by the trust or under the terms of the trust. And the trustee has a fiduciary obligation to abide by the terms of the trust. And that's actually how a trust works. So uh, in essence, uh, when you transfer property to yourself, you're not transferring it to the trust. You're transferring it to the trustees of the trust who have an obligation to uphold uh, the trust agreement the way you've got it. So that's in essence, uh, what you're doing. So, and I have lots and lots of folks who come to me and they had a trust done a few years ago or many, many years ago, and they want me to review it. And I always enjoy doing that. Uh, and it's important that trust be reviewed. Um, and the first thing I generally ask is what's in your trust? In other words, what have you transferred into your name as trustee? So I know what the trust is actually holding as it relates to the trust agreement. And you, you, this might surprise you, but it's not uh, infrequent that people look at me like, was I supposed to transfer something into this trust? Uh, you, you know, uh, the lawyer did us a nice book. <laughs> and uh, and the and the fact is is that oftentimes people have created a trust agreement, and they have a will that says put everything in my trust when I die. Uh, but but the fact is that's the worst case scenario for a trust agreement. Why? Because most people, at least one of the reasons that they like a trust is to avoid probate. But if you haven't transferred your property into your trust prior to your death, guess what? All of it has to go through the court system, through probate and court administration, before it reaches your trust. And so, in essence, by not putting your property into your trust— 
you've actually caused more problems for your family and double expenses because you have all of the expenses of probate and then you have to deal with the trust after the probate. So that's not a, a good solution. A trust is a good solution, but you have to follow through and make sure that either you go ahead and transfer your property to your trustee, which is normally yourself, or you change your beneficiary designations, uh, or you create beneficiary designations. So upon your death, your property will automatically go to the trustee, or the, in essence, the successor trustee that you've named, uh, and not go through the court system. So in essence, that's how it works. But uh, what I want to do when we come back, because I know we have to take a break, but the fact is is that I, I want to explain to people what I look for in a good trust agreement. And, and quite frankly, I, I'm disappointed most of the time. It's rare when I have the pleasure of reviewing a, a really well-drafted uh, trust. But, um, but uh, so I, I just want to take the time and, and let folks uh, know what to look for in, in terms of having a really good trust agreement. It's a valuable perspective that we're going to hear. I'm excited for that. I want to remind everyone that there are some webinars that you can attend if you're interested in learning more about asset protection and trust planning. WG Alexander and Associates, puts, they put on free webinars the second Wednesday of every month. Last week, we just had our February webinars. The March webinars will be happening on Wednesday, March 13th. The afternoon session that day deals with asset protection and trust planning. So if this conversation is getting the gears turning in your head and maybe you're interested in either setting up a trust or having a trust that you've done in the past reviewed. It's a wonderful time to get a hold of Bill, or maybe you just want to attend the webinars and see what trusts are all about. You can have a wonderful educational session with the team here at WG Alexander and Associates. You can go to WGALaw.com, click on the seminars button at the top of the page. It's free to register, free to attend. There's never any cost associated with these webinars. It's a wonderful opportunity for you to learn more. Also, if you're interested in learning more about long-term care assistance, this deals with Medicaid, VA benefits, forms of financial assistance for those who are dealing with a long-term care crisis. This is extremely valuable information, very helpful for those who are dealing with a crisis like that. Go to WGALaw.com, click on the seminars button at the top of the page, in order to register and attend. We're taking a quick break, but we'll be back with more. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Go to WGALaw.com if you would like to schedule some time to speak with an elder law attorney or if you would like to register for the free webinars put on by WG Alexander and Associates. Just click on the seminars button at the top of the page if you're interested in learning more about long-term care assistance 
or asset protection and trust planning, this is a wonderful way to do it. WGALaw.com is where you want to go. I'm Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. We're dedicating this whole show to the subject of trusts. And Bill, just before we concluded the previous segment, you uh, sort of teed this up on what you look for when you're reviewing a trust. Well, the, the first thing is... Uh, what kind of trust are we talking about? And, and the fact is, is that most people create a revocable trust a, as their estate plan. Now, if you're creating a revocable trust for yourself, or you and your spouse are creating a revocable trust for yourselves jointly, which is very common, um, the truth is, is that while y'all are alive and well, you can do anything you want to do. It's just, it's basic. Uh, yes, you want to put your property into the trust, uh, obviously, and we'll talk more about that. But but the fact is, is that now your property's in trust and you're the trustee. And when you're, when you're talking about a trust for yourself or you and your spouse together, you can do anything you want to. There's no handcuffs on what you do with your property in the trust. You can put property into the trust. You can take it out of the trust at any time. Uh, you can invest your money any way you want. You can spend your money any way you want. There's no limitations. In fact, it's so loosey-goosey when you come right down to it is the fact that you can uh, change your trust at any time. You can amend it. You can revoke it. You can restate it. And restatement uh, a restatement is where your lawyer takes your old trust, throws it out the window, and creates a new document for you. But your new document is based upon your old document, so it continues to have the same name as your old document. So you don't have to re title any properties or things like that so but but even the, the but the fact is it's so flexible that the IRS and the Department of Revenue they ignore revocable trusts in fact they don't uh, they don't want you to use a tax ID number for a trust while it's for you and it's revocable they want to, you to use your social security number and they want you to file your taxes the same way that you and your spouse or you alone have always filed your income taxes. So what I'm getting at is a revocable trust uh, for you that you've created for yourself or you and your spouse is just as easy as not having a trust and having everything into individual name. It's very, very easy to do and very easy to administer until such time as one dies or becomes incompetent and you have to replace a, a trustee. Uh, and of course, when a person dies, a, a trust uh, doesn't go through probate. All you have to do is substitute who the trustee is, and that, that uh, is based on who you've assigned in your trust agreement as to who, who replaces you. Um, so that makes it pretty easy. But most trusts, and this is important for folks to understand, most trusts are revocable during your lifetime but at your death, oftentimes you create an irrevocable trust either for your spouse or for your children or grandchildren. 
And the fact is, is that one mistake that families make is that when a person dies, a trust is so easy. And oftentimes the spouse, the surviving spouse, is already a co-trustee. And so they can continue right on administering the property without a bump in the road. But the problem is, is that when a person dies, there are things that must be done. So uh, just, you know, you don't have to go through the court system, but you do have to report to the Internal Revenue Service. You do have to do things with uh, a retirement uh, plan custodian. You have to, there are a lot of things that have to be done. And if you have an irrevocable trust or a tax plan where an irrevocable trust is created at the first death between the spouses, it's extremely important that that be set up properly. And in essence, you have you need to go to an attorney who understands trust planning, how they work, how taxes work, uh, getting a new uh, tax ID number for the irrevocable trust uh, and and the like. And it's got tons of advantages, but at each death, families need to go to an attorney who knows trusts in order to make sure that everything is being done properly. So th- that that's pretty important, okay? So uh, now, the last thing I'll say as it relates to, to this it is that a, a huge mistake that folks make is they don't read their trust, okay? And, and you might, you know, a lot of folks will say, well, hey, I'm not a lawyer. I don't, I don't understand all that legalese. But the fact is, can you read a will? I mean, most people don't have any problem, really, with reading a will. Well, if you can read a will, you can read a trust without any problem. That it's Now, a, a, a good trust agreement is generally not going to be three or four pages long. I mean, it typically is going to be anywhere between 20 and 100 pages long. But, but the fact is that you should be a, a well-drafted trust it should be understandable, and you should be able to understand most. Now, there will always be some legalese in there. Well, I mean, you know, we're lawyers. Come on now. But the fact is, is that the legalese stuff generally has to do with uh, the Internal Revenue Code and tax planning or tax um, things that have to do uh, with tax. And the, the more you have in your trust that explains what you need to do, the better your trust is normally drafted. It, it's the kind of thing when somebody does a simple trust and, it, and it's very short, then there's a lot that's left out that could be extremely helpful uh, to you after the fact. Uh, a well-drafted uh, trust agreement keeps you out of trouble with the Internal Revenue Service and the Department of Revenue as it relates to the things that, that you're supposed to do. Um, so with that, I mean, so uh, reading your trust, and part of what I do in terms of my review is looking for certain things in the trust agreement so it tells me what the duties of the next trustee 
will be. I don't have to worry about it while the people who created the trust are alive and well, and this is a revocable trust. But the next stage is where it becomes extremely important as to understand what's in the trust and what a trustee's duties are. Most people don't enjoy reviewing and reading trusts, but Bill's one of them. Bill's one of those folks who enjoys going through these documents and making sure that they're able to do exactly what you need them to do. And that's why it's so important to have your documents reviewed by an elder law attorney. If you have a trust and you've never had it looked over by an elder law attorney, or maybe it's just been sitting in a file cabinet somewhere for the past, I don't know, two decades, it's time to get that reviewed. Schedule some time to speak with W.G. Alexander and Associates. Go to WGALaw.com or call 919-256-7000. 919-256-7000 is how you can call and schedule an appointment. If you're interested in attending the free webinars happening on Wednesday, March 13th, you can go to WGALaw.com and click on the Seminars button at the top of the page. There's two webinars happening on that day, one dedicated to asset protection and trust planning, another dedicated to long-term care assistance. This deals with Medicaid, VA benefits, financial assistance for those who are dealing with a long-term care crisis. This is a great opportunity for those who are unfamiliar with Medicaid or maybe you've fallen into the hole of uh, believing some of these half-truths that are out there, this is a great way to get truthful and helpful information. Go to WGALaw.com, click on that Seminars button at the top of the page. A quick break and back, this is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. We'll be back after this. listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. WGALaw.com is where you can go to find information about Bill and the whole team at WG Alexander and Associates. WGALaw.com is also where you can find information about their free webinars happening on Wednesday, March 13th. Learn more about long-term care assistance. Learn more about asset protection and trust planning by registering for their free webinars Go to WGALaw.com, click on the Seminars button at the top of the page. I'm Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. We're talking all things trust today. And Bill, you often, whenever we get into the conversation on trust, you get into the importance of the trustees or, you know, the person that you're trusting. All right. So we, um, all right. So you're the successor trustee. You did not create this trust. Uh, but you're now one of the children, and now you're the trustee for your mom or dad, uh, or both of them possibly. And and so the first thing is you need to know what's in the trust. Okay, why? Because you have a responsibility for investing whatever is in the trust. And now, some trusts, and many trusts, will say, that you don't have to diversify your investments. You can keep 
what is in the trust right now and the investments that we have we're comfortable with and the and the new trustee can keep all of those investments that we have so you're not breaching your fiduciary duty for not diversifying our trust assets or it may say we re- we reserve the right to live in our house or live in our beach house or to do all of those things there can be reservations like that too and ter- that would limit your ability to sell certain properties or the like. But what if the trust doesn't say that you can retain any asset, any of our investments that we have right now? Well, you do, under those circumstances, have a duty to diversify reasonably under the prudent investment investor rules and so the the fact of the matter is is that the assuming you're not the only beneficiary uh another beneficiary might complain or sue you (laughs) if you're not careful with the investments uh that are in the trust depending on whether the the uh, trust agreement gives you the ability to keep the investments the way they are or gives you the responsibility for diversifying things, uh, not only for the current beneficiaries' uh, benefit, but for later beneficiaries as well. So uh, understanding your responsibility towards investments is is a pretty important thing. Um, Obviously, uh, knowing who the successor trustees are uh, is an important thing to know because, you know, if you're the current trustee, then who is the person who comes behind you if you can no longer serve? And and there are lots of reasons why people can't serve. One is because they don't want to. But another reason is uh, because they get sick or they need to move away or they or they die. And so knowing who the successor is uh, is an important aspect of being a a trustee. Um, Now, I look in the trust agreement to see if it explains, you know, who the family happens to be. You know, what are the relationships? And sometimes a trust will say, treat this stepchild as my natural-born child for purposes of this trust. Sometimes it'll say, I specifically eliminate this estranged child uh, from my uh, from being a beneficiary un- under my trust. Which, you know, it's the kind of thing where if if uh, you want to leave somebody out or the like, you certainly have a right to do that. Um, so you have to know who who the beneficiaries are. And, and that's uh, uh, critical in terms of who to include and who to exclude uh, if, if there's uh, that in there. I also like to see, uh, and I don't see it that often, but I like to have to see the grantors, the person who creates the trust, their intentions in creating the trust. What were they trying to do? Uh, in terms of was were they simply trying to avoid probate? Were they trying to create a successful tax plan not only for themselves but for their children and grandchildren? Were they uh, 
were they putting remarriage restrictions on their surviving spouse uh, as it relates to what they might be entitled to or not entitled to, uh, and uh, and the like. So uh, knowing what the grantor's intentions uh, would be can be very very helpful, particularly when a revocable trust becomes irrevocable. Um, and, and then uh, it's really and extremely important for the trustee to know the terms of the distribution. Um, now, I say that because in some instances, a trust will say, my spouse or other beneficiary is entitled to uh, all or part of the income of the trust. So if they're entitled to it as trustee, you've got to distribute that income to the beneficiary. But other trusts uh, will say that the trustee has the sole and absolute discretion to make distributions to certain beneficiaries, whether it's the spouse, children, grandchildren, whoever they are. And, of course, that's a very important distinction because if it's more appropriate to not make a distribution and you have the discretion not to do it, that's pretty darn important. Now, uh, I guess we probably need to take a break, and I, uh, but there are lots of other things that I need to talk about in terms of what the trust allows for distributions to the beneficiaries. It's important information to know, and that's why we're going into so much detail on trusts today. If you would like to attend the free webinar dedicated to asset protection and trust planning happening on Wednesday, March 13th, be sure to go to WGALaw.com, click on the Seminars button at the top of the page, or you can call the office 919-256-7000, 919-256-7000. There's also a webinar dedicated to long-term care assistance happening on the morning of Wednesday, March 13th. Learn more about Medicaid, VA benefits, and financial assistance for middle-class middle families who are dealing with a long-term care crisis. WGALaw.com. Click on the Seminars button at the top of the page to learn more. A quick break and back. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. We'll be right back after this. Listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Go to WGALaw.com to schedule some time to speak with an elder law attorney, or you can find information about the WG Alexander and Associates free webinars happening the second Wednesday of every month. The next set of webinars is happening on Wednesday, March 13th. Learn more about long-term care assistance. Learn more about asset protection and trust planning by going to WGALaw.com and clicking on the Seminars button at the top of the page. It's free to register, free to attend. Learn more at WGALaw.com. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. Today we're talking all things trusts. And Bill, just before the break, we were discussing uh, distributions. 
Right. Well, that's really important. And let's say that your parents created a trust, and as a, ch- a child, you, you're stepping up as a successor trustee, and you're the trustee for your surviving parent, or you're a trustee for your own trust that, you're, that your parents have created for you, an irrevocable trust, and, and you're the primary trustee of your own trust. Well, you're a family member. Uh, so you're called what's called an an interested trustee. And anytime you have an interested trustee who has control of the trust agreement, in other words, there's not an independent co-trustee or a distribution advisor or an uh, independent uh, distribution trustee or the like, uh, when you're basically in control of your own trust or a family member, then you are limited in terms of distributions that you can make for health, education, maintenance, and support. And that's it. Uh, I mean, now that those are fairly broad things in terms of your ability to make distributions. But I know in my trust, I define those terms so that you get a much better perspective on what health, education, maintenance, and support means. Because uh, it, the truth, for most of our trusts that we create, we don't have independent trustees. We, we don't uh, necessarily use a corporate fiduciary or a CPA who's unrelated or an attorney who's unrelated. Sometimes we do, but more often than not, uh, it's a family member who's actually the successor trustee. And so oftentimes they are limited by health education, maintenance, or support standards for distributions. Now, a good trust will have... Uh, where the trustee can appoint an independent trustee uh, ad hoc, um, uh, either on a continuing basis or or a one-time basis, to make a special distribution. And if you have an independent person acting as trustee or a distribution advisor or uh, a co-trustee who's independent, uh, recognizing that what trustees do must be mutually agreed, under those circumstances, you can, in fact, have a distribution to a beneficiary for any appropriate reason. Uh, anything that's reasonable uh, and appropriate can be distributed. So, in essence, you're not limited to health, education, maintenance, and support standards. But if you're a family member type trustee, uh, then you are limited to those standards. And it's really important for a trustee to understand what they can do and what they can't do. Um, now, uh, what if you have a beneficiary who is, uh, in essence, uh, the sole, in other words, the, the sole beneficiary during their lifetime? Well, what that means is, quite frankly, your distributions better be for that particular trustee and no one else. I mean, uh, when when you're uh, the trustee for a sole beneficiary, it makes a difference. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that a distribution um, can't be 
potentially used by someone else in the family. I mean, typically, if if you uh, had a home that was part of the trust uh, where your beneficiary lived, and that was prim- and it was owned primarily for their benefit, but they had a child or a sibling or a uh, uh, a, a spouse who lived there, obviously that that would typically be okay, even though it's for sole benefit. But at the same time, uh, everything has to be, um, in other words, you couldn't buy, for instance, a computer, which was for your sole beneficiary uh, to use on rare occasions for a a, a, a Skype or Zoom uh, call with the grandparents or something like that. Where and that same computer was was used by the other children for their homework and everything else, and so if it's used mostly by somebody else, it's not for the sole benefit of that of that person. So that's pretty important. And of course, obviously, uh, that's something that you can d- discern very quickly by what reading the trust. I mean, those are the kind of things that uh, makes a difference. Another thing I like to see in a trust agreement, uh, in a in a revocable trust, is a disability plan for each of the grantors. And uh, now, the, the parents, I mean, the folk, the, your, the folks who create a trust with a disability plan, they they don't need instructions for themselves. So the instructions for disability are typically for the children who are the, the next in line to be successor trustee. And guess what? The whole purpose is to give you, as the successor trustee, fiduciary obligations to fulfill their wishes uh, when they can't manage their own money, when they can't manage their trust and you're in their place and you have a disability plan, you have a fiduciary duty to honor their wishes. And for most of us, it's it's like if we have enough money, we don't ever want to go to a nursing home, even if, uh, uh, you know, it costs a lot of money to keep us at home and, and, and for us to be able to have what we need and want. But the fact is our children don't know how to take care of us the way we know how to take care of ourselves. And in a trust situation, they're spending our money on us. <laughs> you know, we we don't want them to be saving money <laughs> for their own benefit after we're gone. So, uh, you know, frankly, in my opinion, having a disability plan in your trust is a, a, a good, good thing. It's also helpful, in my opinion, to have a trust with instructions at death. What does a trustee need to do when one, uh, uh, when, when one of the grantors of the trust dies? Well, we always have death instructions in our trust, but I've reviewed lots and lots of, of trusts that don't. And why don't they have those death instructions? It's like, well, you got to come back to us as lawyers to take care of it for you. And most of us, most clients do that with us anyway. But the fact is, is that we put it down in writing what the responsibilities are for the trustee when uh, each grantor of a revocable trust dies. It makes a big difference. Um, now, the next piece is 
is there a tax plan? And typically a tax plan is initiated when the first spouse dies. And there are different kinds of tax plans, but typically you can have an I love you trust, which basically stay everything stays revocable at the first death. And so the, uh, sometimes that is helpful to have a, an estate tax return filed when you have a sweetheart trust. But you might have a more sophisticated tax plan that creates a credit shelter trust. That's an irrevocable trust at the death of the first spouse. You might have a marital trust at the death of the first spouse. Uh, those are irrevocable trusts. And sometimes the surviving spouse is the trustee, and sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're a co-trustee with one or more of the children. So uh, knowing what the tax plan is and how it's done and getting a tax ID for the irrevocable trust is really important. And then, of course, when both parents die, Oftentimes, at least in what we do, a lot of asset protection trusts for our children. And that can be extremely helpful in terms of protecting their inheritance from bad things that can happen. Because if it, with an asset protection trust, it's an easy way of giving our children something that they can't create for themselves. And at least they can protect their inheritance um, uh, you know, from a potential divorce or a potential creditor or bankruptcy or a bad uh, vehicle accident or something where they might be responsible and not have enough insurance. So asset protection plans, uh, this is really the key area where most people do create an asset protection plan for the children. Uh, and then... Uh, another question is, if you have an irrevocable trust at the first death, then as trustee, you better know what's in it, because oftentimes we'll find remarriage restrictions, and that's actually to protect the inheritance for the children. Um, it doesn't prohibit somebody from getting remarried, but it certainly encourages them to have a, a prenuptial agreement to, again, protect the inheritance for the children. And then the, a little more complicated would be generation skipping and dynasty trust planning. But the other thing I look for are toggles that allow a trust protector or trust advisor to change certain provisions in the trust and oftentimes that's for tax purposes that can give children even more flexibility but you don't find that in that many trusts. But I look for those kind of things. That's why you're so good at what you do. If you would like to have a trust reviewed, get a hold of the team at WG Alexander & Associates by going to WGALaw.com or call the office 919-256-7000, 919-256-7000 or online at WGALaw.com. Don't forget, that's also where you can go to find information about the free webinars happening Wednesday, March 13th. If you're interested in learning more about asset protection and trust planning, as well as long-term care assistance, this is a wonderful opportunity for you. Go to WGALaw.com to learn more. A quick break and back. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. We'll be right back.
This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Go to WGALaw.com to schedule some time to speak with an elder law attorney. If you're interested in setting up a trust or having a trust reviewed, this is a wonderful time to reach out to the team. Go to WGALaw.com. That's also where you can go to register for their free webinars. They do them the second Wednesday of every month. The next set of webinars is happening on Wednesday, March 13th. If you would like to learn more about long-term care assistance, VA benefits, Medicaid, it's a wonderful opportunity for you. Also, if you're interested in learning more about trusts like we discussed on the show today, there's a webinar dedicated to asset protection and trust planning. Both webinars are free to attend. Go to WGALaw.com to learn more or call 919-256-7000, 919-256-7000. We're out of time for today. On behalf of Bill Alexander, I'm Jason Kong, thanking you for listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Have a wonderful day.